And actually, I kind of feel like if you're in your zone of genius in your work, in your professional life, things are not hard, actually. You work hard and there's there's hard times, but actually things are fun and exciting and things just move quicker when you're playing to your strengths. Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today we're with Maggie Palmer and we're gonna hear about her career story, but rather than me paraphrasing it, it's always <laughs> here best to hear it directly. So Maggie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave. So my name's Maggie Palmer, and I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Pep Talk Her. And our mission is all around closing the gender pay gap, right, and getting more women into senior leadership positions. So we're here to help you get paid, to know your worth, and to really supercharge your career success. Awesome. Well, we're super aligned. Yeah, I do. Uh, I love it. And what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, but today, let's let's talk about the story and arc of how you got here. Mm -hmm. um, right. Cause that's so, you know, you're going to continue to do amazing things. Um, but it's always interesting to see like how these careers progress and, and the things we do that lead us to where we are. So mm -hmm. we like to kick the show off with the same question, which is when was it in your life that you started to think a little more intentionally about your career? It obviously doesn't have to be what you're doing today, but like when yeah. you sort of started to say these things I'm doing mm -hmm. are what I think I want to do to make money maybe like maybe that's what we call it career right. thought versus like personal passion thought yeah you know it's funny because I feel like a lot of us you know you kind of are expected to make a call on your career when you're like 17 18 right at school like which is kind of wild you're sort of deciding the next 50 60 years and I had no idea what I wanted to do honestly it's funny though when I reflect on that Dave I did when I was like eight or nine I had this little posse of girlfriends and I'm still best mates with them today and we made our own saddle club because we were obsessed with those books. And so we used, I used to make this little saddle club newsletter with those like old school horrendous image graphics from the olden days, you know, with computers back then. I can't even clip art. I think it was called clip there art. There you go. Yeah. So I used to make this little saddle club newsletter for the audience of three of us. So it's kind of fortuitous, I guess, in a weird way that I ended up as a journalist. And then now, you know, a lot of what we do at Pep Talker is education and content creation, right? So it's kind kind of weird when I reflect on that, but I don't think that was intentional. I think that was just an eight-year-old who was obsessed with books about horses. I think, you know, there's been a couple of defining moments in my career, Dave, where I can, I can pinpoint the moment where it was like, am I going left or right? Mm -hmm. And typically for me, that was around value and around leadership style and whether I was willing to put up with it or not. So it's interesting when you, it's a great question. So when, when would you say was that, so I love the the newsletter, led <laughs> journalism. so, so when was then that, that time where you were like, all right, now you're like in like career has started. And what was that first thing for you? I don't think working at Burger King at 14 is the start of my career. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe that's what we <laughs> customer service. Maybe we'll count that working on the drive through. My first job was um, as a journalist, I was still studying full time. I was finishing my business degree and my journalism degree. And I was a reporter up near the Great Barrier Reef, actually, in a, in a small city called Cairns. Some of your listeners may have heard of it in Australia, where I'm originally from. I live in Manhattan now, but I'm, I'm an Aussie originally before I migrated to America. And I was a reporter there for the local news. So I guess that's like officially when my career kicked off. Mm -hmm. um, but I was still studying, you know, and um, I was kind of lucky. I had a boss who let me take two half days off a week to kind of finish my studies. Okay. So that was, so that I would imagine started to sort of shape some of your opinions and thoughts yeah. on, 
on what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. What was what was that next moment where you needed mm-hmm. to think about, okay, this what do I, am I going to go left? Am I going to go right? Am I going to stand mm-hmm. still? Like, mm-hmm. what was it and, and what did you end up doing? Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, I started, it was it was a fun career. Journalism is an awesome job for anyone listening. Like it's a, it's a real privilege because you get a window into people's lives, you know, at the highest of highs when they're winning elections and gold medals at the Olympics. And then at the lowest of lows, you know, when like I was in Nepal, when there was the earthquake there and going into Syria to interview Bashar al-Assad to see what had happened to the country there, right? So you kind of, the ebbs and flows of human life. And so I started my career in Australia and then I, I basically, honestly, I went through a bad breakup, Dave. And um, I was kind of at that crossroads with my career. I'd been offered, I was working in politics, political journalism. I was offered another role and I was like, hmm, a bit heartbroken. And so I decided to move overseas. So I kind of threw it all, threw it all away and um, went and volunteered in Peru, which was pretty random. And my mom was like, why don't you go and like, you know, help some local newspaper? And I was like, no, mom, I want nothing to do with it. I just, we just built, we literally were building like houses with bricks. I just, I literally wanted to get my hands dirty. I don't know. It was something primal. I was like, I just need to do something with my hands and like nothing to do with anything that I'd studied or worked in. So I went and, um, yeah, traveled through South America, did a heap of, you know, volunteering over there and then eventually moved to London and ended up working for the BBC world over there and CNBC, which was a cool chapter. So I guess that was like a travel chapter in my career, right? It was awesome professional experience, but it was also kind of like a life move. And I feel like for some of your listeners, sometimes it's helpful, I think, to know that like there's seasons in your career. Mm-hmm. Like there's times when you're punching out 60, 70, 80 hour a week, you know? And then there's also times where you're like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna chill. Like, you know, I'm gonna, not the easy road necessarily, but I'm gonna take a job that's like good work-life balance. And that's okay, you know, because I think sometimes you get burnt out if you're always like going, going, going. Sometimes you need a job that's right for the season where you're at. And that was kind of, you know, one of those, you know, a bit more like choosing life and choosing travel seasons for me. Dave, work was great. It was important. But really, that was about travel and friends and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people wrestle with that, right? Because whether societal pressure, familial pressure, personal pressure. Right to give themselves permission to do Mm -hmm. something like what you did. And, you know, maybe having like the reaction of a breakup or something is like, that's it, I'm over. And it's kind of like what allowed you to do it. But at least you let yourself allow yourself to do it. But like, what, what was some of the thought process there to, and I'm sure in retrospect, you're like, that was the best thing I could have possibly done, right? You always know that in retrospect, but it's hard in the moment. Like, what was some of the thought process of like, Mm. I think I want to do this. And and then how'd you actually just say, okay, I'm doing it. Yeah, because like I had this because, you know, I don't know, in media, like when you're when you work in media, they basically try and tell you that you'll never get another job if you dare leave. And like you're so lucky to have a role and there's 3000 people lining up behind you to have an on camera reporting position and all this kind of palaver. And so when I was off, I was offered this. It was like a political report, like a senior political reporting role or whatever. And everyone was like, oh, my bosses and mentors, they're like, well, you cannot turn it down. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't you couldn't say no to that. And I was kind of like, in my head, I was like, I'll do whatever I want. Like, I, And I think a part of it, the thought process, Dave, is like backing yourself because sometimes everyone else thinks you should take that product manager job or everyone else thinks you should move to SF or you should take the consulting gig in Chicago. And sometimes you're just like, it makes me feel sick and I don't want to. And if that's where you're at or if you're like, it's just not going to bring me joy, just don't do it. Like I just, I feel like sometimes you need permission to say no and to just be like, 
if you back yourself, if you know that you're great at your job, and by the way, for everyone listening, if you've had a job before, if you're in a job right now, it means that you are pretty excellent, right? Because if you weren't, you would get fired. And even if you have been fired recently, you know, like you do have value and you do have incredibly exciting things to contribute. So you will find a workplace that will value you, right? And that will pay you fairly for that. So I think like, honestly, it starts with knowing your worth and knowing that you contribute to a team and that you will find a great employer. Because if you have that inner belief, it makes it a lot easier, Dave, to be like, you know what, I'm going to travel for four or five months and then I'm going to find a gig. Sure, it's going to take me two two months and I'm going to be kind of poor for a while, but like I have savings and I'll figure it out. And sometimes those kind of windy roads are half the fun, you know, like, and I, it was funny because everyone's like, you can't not take that job. Oh my gosh, you're going to like randomly travel, like you're throwing away your career. But then if you look back at it, to your point, Dave, about, you know, the benefit of hindsight, Working at the BBC world totally changed my career, right? In terms of the people that I worked with, that I met, the skills I learned, you know, even the brand recognition of having worked for such a large media organization still to this day is something that is valuable to my career story. And had I not taken that leap of faith, I'd probably you know, still be stuck in Sydney, which is a lovely city, but it's not New York, right? And so one of my favorite quotes is this quote that says, leap and the net will appear, and I just want to encourage everyone, sometimes you got to take that leap. I know that sometimes you can't because you've got a mortgage or kids or there's health stuff happening. I get it. But sometimes you can. And I I kind of love that, that free fall feeling of figuring it out as you kind of are on your way down. It's one of the, you know, I'm... Yeah, I'm always looking for opportunities like this because I think so many people go through these things and career right. advice is this really funky category of advice mm -hmm. that people give mm -hmm. because it's... It's well-intentioned, right? probably not what's best for you, <laughs> you know, because yeah. yeah. people are advising you like on the absolute mm -hmm. safest thing to do. So it's like the yeah. antithesis of high risk, high reward. Yeah. So like low risk, low reward. And then we know that with investing. And so everyone all, not always, I shouldn't say that shouldn't speak so sort of, it was it's, um, so parabolically, but mm -hmm. you know, it's like your parents are gonna be like, Hey, look, that's a great job. And what happens is you you find yourself in this very weird place of like happiness shame. Right? It's like mm -hmm. I'm pursuing happiness. Yeah. I'm not happy. But like on paper, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So everyone thinks I'm just supposed to endure yeah. it. It's such a good point. And, you know, our parents love us and our mentors and our friends and our colleagues love us. But also we all have a different risk appetite. And our parents grew up in a really different era where – you know, you wanted that pension for life and you mm -hmm. wanted that 30-year tenure. Like, honestly, the idea of staying somewhere for 30 years kind of makes me feel ill on the inside, Dave. But but I grew up in a different generation to my mum and dad, mm -hmm. right, where it, it was different. And so there's value in their advice and you can take that on board, but it's also okay if you want to reject that for whatever reason. You might have it in the back of your head, yeah. you know, and, and you can take or leave what's right for you. And I think that that is challenging in some situations, especially, you know, depending on your family dynamics, your cultural background. It's It was probably easier for me, I think, than for other people. I had a very supportive family. I think they were a bit worried at times, but overall, they certainly didn't kind of show that to me. I like getting a lot of advice from people, though, Dave. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I like to crowdsource lots of opinions. 
And I did this during my career, actually, at another turning point that we can talk about where I experienced the pay discrimination issue. And Mm -hmm. I, I, but I do love to kind of crowdsource people's opinions and then I take or leave it. But I don't know, I just, maybe it's the journalist of wanting to hear both sides. I just kind of like to know what other people's advice is because there might be one little nugget that you take from that, even though, you know, you might decide to leave some of it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It's all on how it affects you. Yeah. Right. I think like information, you know, there's people out there who ask for advice. They're really looking for validation. And so for that, that could be actually quite, you know, jarring for them if they go through that journey. But if it's really just like information that I'm using to process later, then I I don't think anyone benefits from having, anyone cannot benefit from having more information. I agree with you. And then it's just being able to synthesize it and do what's good for you. And also knowing if you make a mistake, you can just fix it. Like The, the other thing with advice and soliciting yeah. advice is if you succumb to the pressure of feeling like you have to take the advice because you asked for it, right? then that's also tricky because right? yeah. there's some people you're just not going to listen to. And yeah. you've got to be okay with sort of being like, look, I'm not embarrassed that I didn't take your advice. Yeah. So that's the other tricky thing with advice is like when people get it, they feel yeah. like they have to take it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where like curating that circle of people mm-hmm. around you, you know, and also having people, you want to have the cheerleaders. You want to have, you know, mm-hmm. your grandma who tells you you're amazing. That's so cool. But you also want to have someone who says, hey, Dave, like this is, this is a grave mistake and here's why. Mm-hmm. You know, and you might say, hey, thanks, Maggie, but like I disagree moving on. But you do want people that are going to be frank and fearless. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, you know, we have a program at Pep Talk uh, that kind of helps people get to the next stage in their career. And I always say to them, like, you need people around you who are going to be really honest with you. Because there's a lot of people pleasers who'll be like, yeah, no, you're a great leader. Or yeah, no, that's a great career decision. But you want people who are going to kind of almost speak truth to power to you too. Mm-hmm. And say, listen. I feel like this isn't a great fit for you and this is why, or I feel like it doesn't align with your values to go Mm -hmm. and work for a mining company. Or I'm concerned that if you take this role, you know, and leave your elderly parents, this is what worries me, right? Like you Mm -hmm. need people who are going to kind of be upfront with you. So seeking those people out is really powerful for your career journey as well. Completely agree. All right. So you go build houses, get your hands dirty, (laughs) go back to London, Mm -hmm. get some incredible experience. What's that next? You're still in journalism. Yeah. Um, You go back to journalism. So obviously you liked it to an extent because right. Another version of that is like you pivot to a whole different occupation. Yeah. But yeah, what was, what was that next moment where like, okay, time to Mm. change things up a little. Yeah. You know, I think there's another key moment in my career that I can recall where I was working for one of the major networks and quite by accident, Dave, I discovered that my male colleagues who sat in the cubicles next to me were actually earning a heap more cash than me. We were ostensibly doing the same job um, for the same program, et cetera, but my pay was heaps less. And I found out, as I said, by accident, and I thought I raised it because I was kind of raised, see something, say something. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was a mistake. So I was like, hey, like, FYI, this is kind of weird. What? <laughs> and um, let's just say David didn't go down well. To be fair, this was a few, well, not to be fair, but this was a few years ago, right? So gratefully, things have changed in terms of the conversation, although I'm sure mm-hmm. it still happens. But basically, they said to me, like, yeah, so Maggie, if you don't like the pain conditions, you can quit. Or, you know, you can take us to court, kind of the ultimatum that they gave me. And I was like, sorry, what? And so long story short, I had to get a lawyer, basically. 
And it's it's funny because it was a very stressful time, albeit a first world problem, because I know that there's bigger issues in the world that a lot of people are facing. But I I was quite shocked at the bias and the discrimination based on pay that I was that I was kind of going through. But hindsight, to your point, Dave, now, you know, that pivotal moment, that turning point, that sliding doors moment in my career really is the reason that we're chatting, you know, because that's why I started Pep Talk Her. That's why I started figuring out that maybe naively at that point in my career, I didn't know that the gender pay gap was a thing. I didn't know that I was earning probably on average 20% less than the guys because of the pay gap that exists in the developed world. I didn't know that. I was so naive. And so it was kind of like this blinkers off moment where I was like, oh, this is how the real world works. And so, you know, like my whole mission is to kind of change that now. So I'm kind of grateful that it happened because otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have the privilege to kind of do the work that I do now. So this is a story. This isn't the first time I hear that story. Really? Right. Of someone who finds out. I'm sure. Yeah. And and sometimes it may be gender based. Sometimes it may be because like personality based in the sense that they don't go after it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that just people find out. And so like what what advice would you have for someone who who like finds out? Because you you said you sort of approached it from this like, "Eh, it'll be fine. It's just an error. But now knowing what you know now, like this happens to people. How do they... It does. Like, and I'm sure you guys advise people all the time through Pep Talker on how to handle a situation like right. this. Right. Right. And I think, you know, when we're talking about the gender pay gap, the thing is, is that it's shocking and it sucks. However, it's even worse for women of color, mm-hmm. right? For Latina women, for black women, for indigenous women, the pay gap is even worse. It's even mm-hmm. higher than 20%, right? They're being paid even less. And so this is such a big challenge um, across the board. So I think the way that you handle this situation is kind of dependent on your scenario. So I was lucky in the sense that I had some money saved in an account. I'd been saving a bit of cash, whatever. So I had a bit of a safety net. So I kind of knew, I knew that if I took them on, it wasn't going to end well. I was pretty clear. So I think you've got to read the tea leaves of like, if I raise this, how's that going to play out politically for me, right? Make no mistake there are office politics involved, right? And so I knew that and I was willing to deal with the consequences. I did crowdsource friends and family. And to be honest, most of them were like, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. You've got a great job. You'll never work in the industry again. Like you can't take these people on. And it was, and I really valued that feedback, honestly, because that kind of tempered probably where I was already at, which was like, let's burn the place down. You know, like, uh-huh. so I, I appreciated that advice. I rejected it, but mm-hmm. it probably made me approach it mm, perhaps a little more delicately than maybe I would have otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I was privileged and I could have that conversation knowing that the consequences may be bad because I had that savings, mm-hmm. right? And because I was very confident that I would find another job because I backed myself. I think if you're, you know, if you've got financial, if you're looking after kids, if you've got a mortgage to pay and you're concerned that if you raise it, you might lose your job, mm-hmm. it's not to say that you shouldn't raise it. It's just that it needs to be maybe a little more delicate, right? Because mm-hmm. even though we know that being paid differently for the same job, like is illegal, right? Like that is illegal. However, the challenge is the only way to prove that ultimately is to go to court, and employers also know that, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they make a calculated risk that like, well, how many people are going to find out? And then mm-hmm. all the people that do find out, how many of them are really going to say something? And then how many can afford to get a lawyer? And then how many can afford to go through two, two years of a court process? 
not many people, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is, it's a really, it's a really challenging thing, but you know, one of the most important things, and I know you talk about this a lot in the work that you do, Dave, is like having options. So at any point in your career, it's so important to have a plan B, right? Because life happens, things like this happen, companies go bust out of the blues, out of the blue, there are recessions, there are downturns, there are pandemics. So you have to have options. And so if you have a plan B, if you have a quality network of people that can easily refer you into new work or throw you some consulting work while you find the next gig, it means that you have more power to raise inequalities that you observe in the workplace, be they pay, be they discrimination of another kind, right? So it's a really delicate thing. And I would, you know, I, I don't want to be irresponsible and say you should always raise it and you should always go to town because sometimes people don't have the privilege to be able to do that. I did in my instance. And so it was important to me because I wanted to send a message that like, you can't do this to people. But I also, that came with consequences, right? I ended up leaving that role. Found another role. It took maybe four to six weeks because of relationships because I had those people around me who basically could hook me up. And I knew that, right? So if you have that knowledge of I've got a strong network, I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. It allows you to handle issues in the workplace a little differently. Yeah, I think completely agree. And I think there's two things there. There's what I'd call career investing, mm -hmm. right? These things that are going to yield a return. Right. You don't exactly know when. Yeah. You don't, you know, it's, it's more like angel investing, right? You yeah. invest in startups. <laughs> I and, love yeah, that. The majority don't make it, some do. Yeah. But, you know, the ones that do. So I think I put relationships in that category. And I think enough people, not, sorry, I should say not enough people take a little bit more of that longer horizon. Like the longer horizon conversations are on like, what do I want to be in five or 10 years? And I think that has this like false sense of accuracy where it's like, what are these actions I could take that yeah. I don't know will return yeah. explicitly, but it is a good use of my time. Yeah. And so I, and it sounds like that's what you were doing and it actually, it came through. The other is I think that we sort of catastrophize mm -hmm. in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And we sort of build these scenarios up in our head of like that I won't get hired again. Everyone's going to find out. I'm going to have like the scarlet letter. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I think that the majority of the time, I don't want to say always, but most people are not operating at like that profile that is going to be on TV. Maybe you are, but, <laughs> but like. Yeah, like It'll Gretchen Carlson, for fine. example, like very high profile. Yeah, and and to your point, most people most people are not Gretchen Carlson, right? Who who have a very public battle. I do think, though, you know, I think in your industry and in a, in a company, whether it's a big company or a small company, when there is a disagreement, when there is conflict around leadership, around abuse in the workplace, around discrimination in the workplace, I do think that it does, to an extent, for better or worse, unfortunately. When you raise it as a victim, I do think it tars you to an extent. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's right. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair. But we know from surveys that when victims report even crimes, um, but even in the workplace, we know that people don't always believe them, mm. right? And I'm you're sure- you're a troublemaker or- Yeah, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're rocking the boat. You should be grateful. Like you've got such a, how could you, your manager's such a nice person. Mm -hmm. Of course. But, you know, unfortunately we all <clears throat> carry unconscious bias and that's one of the contributing factors to the gender pay gap. Right. And so mm -hmm. it wasn't that my manager was necessarily a bad human. It was just that like, Hey, this is a problem. It should be fixed. And it wasn't. 
So I think, but, but I think what makes it easier and what made it easier for me, Dave, was I was very clear on my values mm-hmm. and equality and fairness is something way back in the saddle club days was always really core to who I was as a person. It's part of the reason why I got into journalism. Cause I was like, there's so much bad stuff happening in the world to good people. It's not fair. How can we change policy? How can we shed a light on this so that it changes? So I was like, this isn't fair. And if it's happening to me, what if it happens to her or to him or to them? So I I, I think it's like also the people who do, and I'm sure that I burnt bridges and I damaged relationships because of that cross that I was willing to die on from that, from that company's perspective. But I don't, I don't regret that. And I don't miss those people because if they think differently of me because of that, then they're not really my peeps, you know, they're not Mm -hmm. people I'm going to have in my crew. You know, I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm happy to kind of leave those people behind, but it is a calculated decision, you know, make no Mm -hmm. mistake. I do think, and it's, again, I don't think that that's fair. I don't think there should be backlash, but I think if we're all operating in the real world, we know that there is that. But to your point, if you've placed lots of angel investments from a relationship perspective, then if there's five people over here who are kind of a bit dubious about you, hopefully you've got 15 people over there who think you're amazing and who are excited to grab a coffee with you and brainstorm ideas and make intros for you on LinkedIn, you know? Yeah, and I think that, the, the funny, this like what's fair versus what's real is yeah. that in, in the space of careers is yeah. incredibly complicated because I, I see people complaining on Twitter all the time about these things. It's like, look, I'm going to agree with you 10 out of 10 times on like the practical or logical yeah. implications of that. But then there's just like the world is what the world is and eventually we'll change it. And by vocalizing that it's broken, hopefully it'll change one day. But today it's not. And so – you got to play by the rules, even though they're unwritten rules, if you want to win the game, which really stinks because the rules aren't like written. But <laughs> I think people have to recognize that. And I think, and I think, so like relationships is a good example, right? It's like you have to recognize that, sure, the, you know, the actions you take, maybe you lose that job, but that manager goes to another company. Now maybe they don't want to bring me on, right? Because I do think, you know, there's extremes where people get, like maybe I've seen examples where people get like overly righteous about certain things. And like, it's like, look, I get it. Yeah. that That's the standard you keep. Yes. The, maybe most people might not. And so this one, maybe that's cool. This isn't the right place for you. It doesn't align with the values, but don't burn the whole thing down. Right. Cause you know, but you know, it's hard. It's super nuanced, it is you know, on like what's right and yeah. what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really tricky. So I and and it really wears on people. That's the other tough part. It is, and that's again. I think it comes back to the values. Like, what are you willing to compromise on, and mm-hmm. what are your non-negotiables? So, mm-hmm. and it's different for everyone, right? There's no right or wrong. But I but I think being clear on that helps you from a decision framework perspective to say, well, this person's personality doesn't gel with me, but I can respect them as a human, so I'm okay to keep working there, as opposed to. Mm-hmm. That that person is actually being entirely inappropriate. There's a line in the sand. I actually need yeah. to have a conversation about this. But yeah, choosing your battles is something that mm-hmm. I struggled with, Dave, especially early in my career because I get pretty feisty sometimes. And so <laughs> I think like, which is like a great quality, but then also, you know, mm-hmm. I had to have mentors who really taught me to temper it. And they were like, you got to choose your battles. There are some battles that you should fight. Mm-hmm. And there are some battles that you can learn from quietly and maybe not you know, 
make a big deal of it all the time. And so you've got to, as an individual, decide what that framework looks like for you based on your values. That's great advice. And I think that's where, you know, you've only got so much energy to give. And what's that like input to output ratio? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So now you're deep in this process and so you've, you've learned it's had a lasting impact on you. It's affecting what you're doing today. It's like reoriented. It sounds like your mission aligned with your values, which I think that's like really great to have that intentionality of like, what are the things I stand for? Cause the more the activities we do can be aligned with that, the more energized we are, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. But what, what did that lead to? And like, how did that inform that next career move for you? Yeah, it's interesting. So I stayed in journalism for quite a few years afterwards, Dave. I didn't make the pivot straight away. I was, I was pretty broken, honestly, by the experience, I think. And again, I know that a lot of your listeners would have had these experiences multiple times over in their career where they felt marginalized, where they felt they were treated differently because of who they were or how they looked. And I found that quite confronting, actually. It took me a while to process that. So I took a job that was a seasonal job in the sense of it It was a, it was a great job, but it, it was the hours were good it was low stress, it was low anxiety, and it was what I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of felt a bit guilty taking it because I was like, oh, this isn't like as hardcore, but it was, I had to recuperate, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, and I wanted to just reiterate that to your, your listeners that sometimes it's okay to choose mm-hmm. a season of recovery or calm or easy. You know, it's okay mm-hmm. to take the easy road sometimes. So I stayed in journalism for a while, loved it, but always in the back of my mind, I was like, how can I solve this problem? How can I stop this happening to someone else? Like, you know, what, what do you do about this issue? It seems so insurmountable. And so I started like talking to friends and helping mates and helping them negotiate. And, you know, when people were fired while pregnant, I was like, you know, that's actually not okay. And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, what really? I was like, yeah, that's not cool. And they're like, Oh, um, so just kind of having these conversations and I built a terrible website, Dave, terrible, 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 terrible. Taught myself WordPress from YouTube. It was shocking. Anyway, captured people's email addresses and slowly realized, okay, this like this is not just me who's had this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and long story short, did a, did a tech accelerator, figured out how I could use tech to solve the problem of ultimately the gender pay gap, but at, at a more grassroots level, how can we kind of shift our mindset to focus on the successes we do have in our career mm-hmm. instead of spiraling into the negatives and the time we made mm-hmm. a spelling mistake or we lost a client or whatever? How can we help shift people's focus to be in the positive so that they have data mm-hmm. and they have the confidence to advocate and negotiate for their careers? So it took me years in the background and then probably maybe five years later, four years later, I quit journalism, had some savings and just went full time. And here we are, I guess, seven years, seven years later. Wow. I love hearing those stories because I think a lot of people just see like the headlines in the magazine. It's like, hey, they just sort of packed up and started a company. Yeah, and nah. I feel like the majority of the time, that's not the case. It's like they've been working on it for a long time, yeah. taking small actions and like, sure, one day there's like a reveal of the yeah. new company. So, so talk us yeah. through that a little bit for People that are sort of, you know, right now, great resignation, great recalibration, you know, whatever it's being called. But a lot of people are contemplating going out on their own, starting their own thing. What needed to happen or like what boxes needed to be checked for you to be like, okay, now, now's the day I'm, I'm going to quit my job and go do that. I, I was, I was scared. I think at that point, you know, at that point I had a really good job in journalism. I changed jobs again. I had a really great role. 
And again, it was one of those like, you know, you would never quit that job as if you would leave that role traveling all around the world as a correspondent. But for me, the the thing that I, what held me back from not doing it sooner was fear and also money. I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to be, I, I had savings, but I was so paranoid that I wouldn't be able to pay the rent. And I, I, I have a decent risk appetite, Dave, as an entrepreneur, as you, as you no doubt do as well. However, I also am a little bit cautious in that I'm like, I need to be clever here. I need to protect myself. I need to have a rainy day fund, etc. So what I started doing was side hustling. So I was working as a journalist, but I started um, doing media training on the side. Um, a PR company asked me if I did it. I didn't, but I was like, yeah, 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 yep, yep, yep. <laughs> So then I was like Googling how to do media training, spoke to some friends who did it, figured it out. And turns out it was basically a very transferable skill from teaching what we do as journalists to people who were trying to understand the press. So I had kind of maybe like 20 or 30K a year on the side coming in bits and pieces, 5K, 3K, whatever. And I was like, okay, so if I quit and if I did this, I could probably make money. I was like, I reckon I could make 50 or 60 grand at least. Like worst case, I was like, that's fine. I can like tread water financially for a while. That's fine. So that was kind of my landing pad. So I kind of like, because I couldn't, I had no idea how Peptolco was going to make money. I had no idea. I was like, is it a not-for-profit? I don't even know. So I used the media training as like my soft landing. I didn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It's, it's not my mission in the world, but again, it was a season of like, well, it's a means to an end. And frankly, you know, honestly, my fiance as well kind of kicked my ass a bit. And he was like, can you just stop like side hustling this and just focus? He's like, you need to focus. You cannot, you know, I'm all for a portfolio career, but he was like, if you want to build something properly, like you need to focus, you cannot be doing three things at once. You can't be doing journalism, media training and pep talk her. And I was like, well, that's pretty harsh, but fair. So I quit journalism, had the media training a couple of days a week to kind of, and had like a little consulting thing on the side and then was kind of figuring out pep talker like one or two days a week. And then eventually kind of the tide turned and I figured out a revenue model for pep talker and how we could help support corporate companies running workshops for, you know, ASX 200 and Fortune 500 companies and that kind of stuff. And the community grew and grew and grew and we ran courses for them. And so I figured it out eventually, but it took me time. And I didn't, I had decided I didn't want to take venture money for a variety of reasons, some of which were due to, due to discrimination as well, but that wasn't really the path for me. And I don't come from a wealthy family who could kind of, you know, give me an angel check. That's not my background. And I, so I had to kind of self-fund it and just figure it out basically. Got it. So what, what are the, what were, what were some of those early learnings? Oh, I reckon the biggest learning, Dave, the best thing, honestly, I reckon one of the best things I did was Gallup strength finders. Mm. So if anyone's listening, it's 20 bucks. I'm not an affiliate for them, but it's 20 bucks. If you just Google Gallup strength finders, and it's an assessment. It's it's not a personality test, but it's kind of similar. And they basically mm-hmm. ask you all these questions. It takes you like 20 minutes. And then it kind of identifies for you your top five strengths. And the theory is that we are all, made, I think it's 30 or 35 strengths. And the theory is that we all have the top five. And so I did this assessment and worked with this great coach called Jason Biggs in New Zealand, obviously virtual sessions, but he helped me unpack what my strengths were. 
And that was kind of, I had to really understand myself, Dave, before I could start a business and frankly be a good leader. And I'm still learning. I'm still improving. But that was pretty revolutionary because I had always thought uh, one of my strengths is activator, which means I have a lot of ideas and I, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are probably activators. The flip side of activator is that you have a lot of ideas, but sometimes people who don't have activator find you overwhelming and they think that you're a bit cyclonic or a bit all over the place. Cause they're like, what you're starting another business and you have a media training and then what people don't get it. And I always thought it's cause I was weird, but what I realized through strength finders coaching was actually, I just have different strengths. And so the more I can lean into my strengths and hire people or have support from people mm-hmm. who maybe can prop up my weaknesses, mm-hmm. the more successful I was going to be. So that was probably the biggest thing for me was realizing You know, one of my weaknesses, sadly, is like admin and the nitty gritty, Dave. So I had to hire an assistant pretty early on to help kind of propel our success forward even more, which was, I don't know, it was kind of revolutionary. I know that's not like rocket science, but it was, it was a bit of a aha moment for me. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's a great insight because I think that, especially as a small business owner, you, so cash is king. Right. And it you think you're supposed to be able to do everything. And, you know, I think the faster you can identify the things that you aren't good at and don't like doing actually, and just, just let money solve that and make that investment even makes it a little bit tighter. The whole thing just works better. And I think it's, you know, helpful for people in their careers too, because, you know, Mm -hmm. even if you're not going to start your own business, even if you don't want to have a side hustle, Mm -hmm. if, one of your strengths is creativity and you're working in finance every day where you really can't be that creative with numbers. You might find yourself frustrated and angry Mm -hmm. and pissed off at work. And it may just be that you're not in a role that really speaks to your strengths. And so when you can find those roles and that kind of alignment from a career perspective, it's game changing because you're happier. You frankly have to work not as hard because it's easier for you. And Mm -hmm. I think, Sometimes, I don't know if it's school or whatever, it kind of teaches you that like things have to be hard. And actually, I kind of feel like if you're in your zone of genius in your work, in your professional life, things are not hard. Actually, you work hard and there's there's hard times, right. but actually things are fun and exciting and mm-hmm. things just move quicker when you're you're playing to your strengths. So I don't know. I found it pretty revolutionary for me. Yeah, it 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 really is a big unlock because we also have right like if you played little league sports, right? The thing you're not good at, they make you do more of it. Yeah, it's like, oh, you can't hit fastballs. Okay, we're just going to practice fastballs all day. And a lot of you know, uh, one of the originators of strength finders, Marcus Buckingham, who is you know a big, it's sort of one of the proponents or main proponents of this, like play to your strengths. Actually, yeah. once you identify, like stop trying to get be average at the things that you're bad at. And, you know, focus on being exceptional at the things that you're good at. And I think that comes with, you know, I get it in your first couple of years, right? And university and college, you want to kind of explore and maybe you don't know you love art because you've never done it. Or maybe you don't know you love coding because you've never tried it. So, of course, Mm -hmm. there's like that exploratory phase. But I do think, you know, the longer you get into your career, it's exciting to figure out Mm -hmm. what you do love and what you want to kind of deep dive into. Yeah. So now you're, tell us about Pep Talker. You've been doing it for yeah. seven years. I guess yeah. you're CEO and founder now. So that's your, you know, new, you had to learn new skills. Yeah. But uh, given especially the overlap with our audience and, you know, mm-hmm. how, 
tell us about what you got going on and, and yeah. what's happening at Pep Tucker and how people could benefit from it. Yeah, so we really help support professionals, in particular professional women, who are typically sort of mid-career. So most people within our community have a couple of years experience, mm-hmm. up to kind of 20 years experience, and they're really looking to earn more money or get a promotion or just kind of find that sweet spot in their career. Maybe they don't feel like they're in their zone of genius right now, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, I just kind of don't feel super satisfied or like super joyous in my career right now. Is it possible to find something mm-hmm. better? And people are kind of often surprised when, I, when I'm like, the answer is yes, uh, mm-hmm. but we need to do work first, right? There's a couple of things we have to unpack and then kind of look to the future. So that's what we really help people do is to earn more money firstly, to kind of help them get raises and promotions and then also help them find that alignment so that the work that they're doing brings them joy. And, and with that comes the money and the success as well, right? So we love it. We've got about 60,000 women in our community all around the world. Most of them are in the United States. Um, so we have a heap of free resources that you can check out. The app is totally free. The Pep Talk Her app that you can download on Apple and Android. Um, we've got a big social media community. So come say hi. We run heaps of free events. And then we have a, a paid course as well that people can can join in if they're kind of really wanting some live coaching to help help support them. My team and I run those programs and yeah, we're just, we're just, we're hoping one day, Dave, to be unemployed. But you know, the United Nations reckons we're looking at a hundred years before we get to pay parity at this point. So unfortunately I might have a job for a little bit longer, but we love seeing the success stories. I actually was just cleaning my office before we spoke, Dave, and I, I was reading a card that one of my students had sent me and she got like a $45,000 raise last year, you know, um, after the course. And that's kind of game changing money. So she's putting in a pool for her kids. So it's like, sometimes one of the things I hear a lot, Dave, is like a lot of people in the community say to me, Maggie, I don't want to have the conversation about money. I would rather get paid what I'm getting paid and not rock the boat. I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it is possible to have these conversations without burning bridges, without Mm -hmm. feeling super awkward, right? It's just a slight reframe of the way that you've been raised to think about negotiation and salary and money. Um, So it's really exciting. I love seeing all the, the aha moments that people have going through the program of realizing, oh my gosh, It is just a conversation, right? We can talk about money. I do deserve to be valued. There are plan B alternatives out there, right? I can find them. So yeah, it's exciting. Well, that's amazing. I'm sorry you had to go through what you did to arrive at this, but, you know, to the benefit of the broader collective, it's amazing to see how you turned that into a really impactful business and company that's helping a lot of people. Um, What's the best way for people to find Pep Docker, give us yeah. some link. We'll make sure to link to them in the show notes, wherever you're watching or listening. Perfect. But it's always great to hear it directly from you. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, you can check us out. We're on all of the socials at Pep Talker. Send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know that you're listening to Dave's Epic Podcast. We've got a cheat sheet. If you're kind of like feeling like maybe if you have a niggling feeling that you're getting paid less than people at work, you can check out peptalkher.com forward slash pay me more. And the cheat sheet will help walk you through that. That's totally free. You can check that out as well. Yeah. So just come and say hi. We're on all the social media channels. The website's got heaps of free resources and download the Pep Talker app as well. It's We built it with a behavioral psychologist and it's really designed to help you focus on your career successes. It's like a, it's like a Fitbit for your career, Dave. And it kind of like will send you these prompts so that maybe once a week, once every two weeks, you can be like, oh yeah, I, I planned the intern program or I closed this deal. Mm-hmm. And you kind of put the specifics in so that at the end of the year, 
when you're advocating for yourself and negotiating, you've got data to put forward as to why you deserve more, right? So it helps you through that entire process. So you can check that out. It's totally free on all of the app stores as well. Pep Talk Her. That is awesome. Well, Maggie, thank you so, so much from journalist to house builder to journalist (laughs) to to entrepreneur uh, and mover and shaker. Thank you so much for the story and looking forward to see all the incredible lives you impact. Likewise. Thanks so much, Dave. And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us. And please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co.